Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Recently received a fascinating email. My daughter wants to take contraception when she leaves for college. What do I do? The story has unfolded and I have some great tips for you. Maybe you're experiencing this with one of your children as they head off to college. What are you to do in these last moments, hours, and days before they leave? Or maybe they've already left. And is there anything that can be done? Absolutely. Tons of information to help you with forming your daughters, preparing them for college. So stay with me. I have an insane story to share with you. An older woman was literally kicked out of the YMCA for making a complaint about people who were in the bathroom that made her feel uncomfortable. She was, people tried to arrest this woman. I'll share more with you in just a little bit. And Serena Williams has some incredible things to say about motherhood as well. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Joining me in just a moment is Dr. John Bruchalski. He's an OBGYN, the founder of the Tepeyac OBGYN Full OBGYN care for all women, whether you can pay or not, helping women who need medical care and are pregnant. He also founded Divine Mercy Care to help fund, provide funding for women who are in crisis pregnancy situations and need medical care. But his story started many years ago as an abortionist. He was an abortionist and in time, working through his residency, ended up having a conversion back to his Catholic roots of his Catholic faith and is be truly turned to serving women and women's reproductive health and true reproductive freedom. Joining me now is Dr. John Bruchalski. Dr. John, welcome back to Trending. Hi, Timory. It's so good to be with you. I recently learned about your story. I've heard you speak a handful of times on uh, various teleconferences, forming and informing people from an OBGYN's perspective, but had never known your past story of having been an abortionist. And I would love to hear a little bit about your journey uh, from you know someone who wanted to do good as a physician, fallen away, uh, kind of Catholic. If you can start with us, you know, there in medical school and share with us your journey of what, where you began and where you've gone to today. Oh, sure. Um... The bottom line is, is that I kept listening to my, fr- my friends, many of whom were women. And uh, I always had a knack for PMS. God has a sense of humor <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to uh, choosing people, I guess. Um, and even growing up, so, you know, as a child, I was dedicated to the mother by a great Catholic family. But in the 70s and 80s, Catholic education formation was pretty sh- shabby at best. Right. And I just began to listen and listen to women really begin to uh, talk about 
um, being used by men and being, they want it to be equal. And so once you begin and get a sense that you might want to go into, you know, medicine, I was a history major, but I was also a biology major. And uh, I just kept listening to my patients and I wanted to be the best OBGYN I could be. So being the best OBGYN, you had to provide abortion services because ideology or belief, you know, if you don't move it into works, whatever ideology is dead, number, you know, of course, on both sides of that issue, whether you're pro-life or pro-abortion. Um, and when, when you do that, it also becomes you must learn contraceptive technology. And you must, uh, you know, in today's day and age, uh, suck eggs, as we called it, to make, you know, uh, fertilized eggs for IVF. And uh, we needed to provide sterilization services. And now it's about providing hormones to make little boys, little girls, or vice versa. And so while I was moving from medicine to residency, my mother and father never stopped praying for me. And I went to um, Guadalupe in Mexico City with a friend, and I heard, why are you hurting me? Mm, and then lady. a few years later, uh, while I was a boarding women in one room because the woman didn't want the child and running to the next room and saving the baby's life uh, because the woman wanted that child. I was also working at a crisis pregnancy center at night that was run by the Assembly of God Church. Wow. At this point, at this point, I was agnostic. And when I say I was an abortionist, I never wanted to just do abortions because, remember, we're all involved, just like St. Paul keeps saying, we are our brother and our sister's keeper. What you do to the least. Man, I was just a resident in the first two years of my residency, and I did abortions during the daytime and nighttime, you know, whatever we needed on. Like, it wasn't something that I felt, oh, my God, this is going to save women. It was, oh, no, this is part of good medicine. And uh, at the Assembly of God's run <laughs> crisis pregnancy center, uh, you would hold hands and pray that the Lord would bring in people who they could minister to and look at them holistically, body, soul, and spirit. They were also pretty much anti-Catholic at that moment, so, you know, I kind of left go of what my mom and dad... Well, a professor, after aborting a baby that could live, and they had to rush it to the, the neonatal intensive care... She challenged me to go to Medjugorje and get my act together because I was giving her tumors, she called them. I was quite upset because I was a good doctor. I was doing what I was told. Come on. I mean, this is what women wanted. But all of a sudden, all these threads that the Lord placed in my life, the science became, um, you know, mental health issues, breast cancer, preterm labor. Well, they, that was beginning to be shown as real consequences of a, of having an abortion. Mm -hmm. And then the sociological mm -hmm. issue that across the country, across the world, you would abort women, female babies more commonly than male, because in India and China, they're valued more. And I began to get real schizophrenic, Timory. I mean, I was just... And then my mother called about three days after the doctor challenged me to go to Medjugorje. My mother wow. just wanted to go, and I didn't, I didn't care about the mother of God at that point because I was an assembly of God, and she wasn't that important. And, well, as God has it on the hill, I found God's mercy in prayer. 
I can't Thank describe God. it all that well, but um, I can tell you that in prayer, I touched the heart of Christ and saw the heart of the mother, and I came off the hill a different person. Scales fell off. A young woman told me about my life as a vehicle, as a blunt instrument for the mercy of God, and that we could renew medicine. And I'll be darned, I came off the hill a different man. I walked to confession for the first time in probably maybe a decade or two. I can't remember. Mm. But I, I went and knelt in front of a priest who was in the middle of January. There was nobody there. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And the tears came, and the joy came, and the shoulders lifted. And I realized that nobody should be ever judged, that we need to serve in love, and that the, she basically said, Johnny, be an excellent doctor, see the underserved daily, and follow the teachings of my son's church. That was it in general. And that led to a now a 30-year history of Tepeyac OBGYN in Fairfax, Virginia, we started Divine Mercy Care because all the eggheads and bean counters wanted me to stop seeing the underserved. Because, you know, we have a practice that is 70% paying insured customers. I mean, we mm -hmm. do excellent medicine. But we also partner with all the pregnancy centers in the region because that's what the Lord showed me. That's real health care. Right. We need good health care for women who are in crisis pregnancy situations Amen. because often they're discriminated against and encouraged Amen. to have abortions at any twist and turn in a pregnancy. Oh, isn't that the truth? And at every turn, so now, so now Dobbs flips Roe, but the laws haven't changed. But that doesn't mean that it's bad. It means that there is a great opportunity right now where by our witness, you know, as Francis talks about, you know, St. Francis, you know, you, you, you talk in love. You don't have to quote. You just be the hands and eyes and ears of the mother and Christ. That Pieta moment where you just embrace the wounded and the miserable and the challenged because they're teaching you about love and you're providing something that they ultimately need, acceptance, mm -hmm. and you show them a way through it. And it's called leaning in. It's called compassion. It's not empathy. Empathy leads to the gas chamber. Mercy leads to the abortion clinic. If you don't have it rooted in the principles of Jesus Christ, the Word of God, and the teachings of the Church, end of discussion. Mm -hmm. And what mm -hmm. happens is we have to be witnesses now because the time is of, you know, this is what, this is what the Lord has provided for this time. Dobbs is now the law of the land, but law will not change hearts. So, tip, so Divine Mercy Care was a mechanism that we could not only inspire our future generations by, you know, I've got a talk at UT, um, uh, the medical branch of the uh, University of Texas system in next month. You teach the next generation, you minister to those around you who are burned out, and anybody on the line or is listening who feels that they are just, they've been given the wrong message in medicine, whether it's a provider or a patient or a parishioner or a pastor, well, we have a way now to speak about this and encourage and exhort mm. because it's excellent medicine. I've never practiced mm -hmm. abortion. I've never practiced OBGYN as an, a needing elective abortion. And yet we now have all this confusion. That's miscarriages. It's ectopics. It's, mm -hmm. it's literally perversion of words. So and you've I, seen firsthand, oh, yeah. Dr. Bruchowski, oh, that oh, yes, the sir. argument that abortion is necessary to save the mother of the, 
the life of the mother is not true. You are an OBGYN. You treat women. You've seen so many instances of cases where there have been difficult pregnancies. Can you speak to that for just a moment? Because I think this is a part of so many ways your journey. You wanted to help women in all ways as an OBGYN being one of the best. And you saw, okay, I think abortion is part of that, but you saw it wasn't. And now you don't provide abortions. You see that that's wrong and damaging to women. So why is that not medically necessary? Because the woman's autonomy, the, the mother, the autonomy of the woman trumps the autonomy of the doctor. You have to, it's like a vending machine. Healthcare is now about access. It's about service. It's about bouginess. It's about, uh, oh, yes, you can go to Nordstrom's and you can get a spa abortion now. Listen, I did abortions. It hardened my heart. We talk about divorce that in the beginning, folks, uh, it wasn't, it was about your hard hearts that Moses did this. Well, I can tell you that my right arm connected directly to my heart and my heart was becoming massively hardened. So these are some principles that we throw out. You never pit mommy against the baby. You always treat the disease. You never, and you love the child. You love the mother. We, we always put the mother first. We never jeopardize her life. We always treat the disease. So let's say she's infected and she's only 12 weeks old. You deliver the baby. You deliver the pregnancy. You deliver because you have to treat the infection. And, mm-hmm. you know, some people say, oh, principal double effect. Yes, that's part of it. But our target is never the intent to kill the child. We mm-hmm. always are getting rid of the membranes or a hemorrhage. You stop the hemorrhage. And in sometimes early in pregnancy, it's a miscarriage. It, the baby's heart's beating. But in most cases, the baby's heart's not beating. In most ectopics, the baby's heart's not beating. So you never pit mom against the baby. It's not good for any mother to hear that. Because I trust me, it's an integrated, that baby is implanted, is integrated with mom. And that's why even mothers who go through IVF in vitro, they mourn for those frozen embryos because they're mm-hmm. their children. Are they loved or are they used? Are they your children or are they your property? And the Catholic Church, in its holistic approach of looking at Scripture and having a tradition of 2,000 years of men and women pray and think and sacrifice on these topics, oh my God, it's liberating. And mm-hmm. so when you just say, we never pit mom against baby, no, of course not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's pro-woman. It yeah. is. It's pro-woman. It's always. However, right. 50, for 50 years, Roe was invoked because in the tough cases, you aborted. And I know about the wink, wink, nudge, nudge in the exam room. I'll give you a number. Well, we, we provide all the options, meaning we, we talk about all of them. But as life-affirming, holistic pro-women, we do not provide abortion or their referral. It's too easy to find on social media if you want to go there. We will be there for you when you finish the, the abortion, because we won't judge you. Because all of us, like myself, I've, you can't, I can't throw stones. I want to be there for you. I can't walk with you there. I can't go with you there, because I don't think it's really good for you. And that's my mm-hmm. medical opinion. It has nothing to do with my faith. However, mm-hmm. When the faith comes to you and you see that the Catholic Church has lived this, oh my Lord, what a wide open, and all of a sudden women come to you from all over. 
and they ask your opinions just because I don't abort, I don't murder babies? Well, once again, I understand why women choose abortion. I understand why good Catholic doctors think they need to abort mm-hmm. babies that are incompatible with life. But Timory, those children are alive when you're talking about them in the uterus of their mother. What do you mean they're incompatible with life? They're alive right now. You never get rid of disease by getting rid of babies with that disease. Mm-hmm. You don't do that. That's called eugenics. Right. And Amen. I know because I was on that side, and that's what I mm-hmm. did. But when you look at long-term outcomes and short, oh, my God, these women who have to go through, and the doctors and the families that have to go through our, say, like a perinatal hospice program where we use the womb as a hospice center, I want you to know that when you bring in the priest and he can provide the sacraments of baptism and confirmation for that child that may live just a few seconds or a few hours or a few days, it brings joy in the midst of incredible misery. And Infertility is... Yeah, healing in the midst of that brokenness. That's a pro-woman perspective, Dr. Bochowski. And I think that you provide that for women uh, rather than destroying women's maternal heart, their maternal yearning, their motherhood toward this child they already have by pushing an abortion. You help moms to fight for their babies to the best of their ability. And at the end of the day, to know that they fought alongside their doctors doing the best they could rather than carrying the guilt of what if. What if? What if you know nothing was wrong with my baby? What if my baby yeah. lived five hours or or fifty years, whatever it might be? Yes, Timory, and the way that you talk about your program, trending with Timory, trending is a very interesting modern word, and I think you really are getting to the pulse of what's going on because we just ask questions. Okay, if you want to go to IVF, ma'am, and and you know her partner or her husband, just remember you have to ask one question: Are those embryos they make your children? or your property. Because if they're your children, you probably shouldn't freeze them, you shouldn't experiment, you shouldn't waste them. Mm, but, if they, but if they are your property, then go ahead and do whatever the hell you want. And that becomes these questions, and then the prayer that goes into it before you see them. I don't know. I found joy, and so many people who've come through our center to start their own centers across the country, and now the work with you know men and women in health care. Because remember, abortion ripples through the community. And uh, I'm just, like I said, uh, Timory, you're trending. What you're talking about and your heart is actually, you are on the heart of the movement. And I am so grateful to be with you. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Bruchowski. If you're just joining us now, you can find Dr. Bruchowski at drjohnbruchowski.com. That's drjohnbruchowski, B-R-U-C-H-A-L-S-K-I.com. We'll post a link on social media. Just follow me at Timur. We'll tag him on social media, divinemercycare.org, as well as one of his ministries. We'll be back with Dr. Bruchowski, and we'll talk about offering women hope in a future and seeing a life as a mother and with their child. It's something that the pro-abortion movement doesn't allow any women to dream about. And that pro, pro-contraception culture is preventing many young women from ever even uh, having a moment to become a mother. And we're going to tell the truth about what women need. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
Are you sending a daughter off to college? One mom wrote me this week saying her daughter wants to take contraception when she leaves for college. What do you do in these final moments and days? Or maybe she's already gone. Is there anything you can do? You certainly can. So stick with me. I have resources for you today. We're also going to talk about a shocking story where an older woman was kicked out of the YMCA and employees tried to have her arrested for no just reason. Serena Williams also is talking about motherhood and retirement. I'll share with you more about that in just a moment. Joining me now is... OBGYN Dr. John Buchalski. He's a founder of the Tepeyac OBGYN Center and Divine Mercy Care. You can find him at drjohnbuchalski.com and divinemercycare.org. We'll include links in social media as well as in the podcast notes, relevantradio.com forward slash trending, the easiest way to grab those if you're not on social media. But I want to talk now about the incredible work. Having gone from working um, during his residency as an abortionist, wanting to be the best possible OBGYN to recognizing this isn't true women's health care, not true solutions. Uh, it's actually sexist, essentially, to provide abortion, seeing and he pointed to many of the uh, kind of contradictions in the pro-abortion movement to then now for over 25 years doing incredible pro-life affirming care, helping women uh, who are impoverished, who cannot afford medical care, giving them full service medical care through their pregnancies um, if needed for free. And he has seen on the front lines the crisis facing women of all ages today when it comes to motherhood. And something he wrote in some of his work had to do with how we reach the abortion-minded woman and commenting Dr. Bruchowski on how we have to offer hope and a vision of life for that woman with her child. But I found this so fascinating because I think this is at the core of what we need to offer all women today. Women are told from 12, 13 years old, you need to be on contraception, that children are an obstacle to a future, and that pregnancy is a disease. And so many women who naturally would have pondered the idea of cradling a child in their arms or would have been interested in the newborn babies of other women have stymied that maternal desire because they've dared not to hope of the idea of being a mother and holding a child. And I'd love for you to speak to how envisioning that yet again can truly help save babies who are in crisis pregnancy situations as well as women who one day might consider an abortion because of the cultural mindset surrounding motherhood. Well, um, yeah, Timur, you're once again, uh, you're spot on. Um, we believe on when I was doing abortions and providing contraceptive care, children were considered sexually transmitted diseases, not just wow. pregnancy. And so pregnancy needed to be stamped out or only only was utilized when you wanted it to happen. And uh, there's many reasons for that. And, and yet, um, when you see the reality that the um, building a family and what the reasons for having relations, and right now, you know, antidepressants are the number one medication uh, in women's health. And it's because we're mm -hmm. all broken. Right. We've, all, we've all built soul ties uh, before we were married, during we were married, the anger, the bitterness, you know, the, the enemy has really flipped family, flipped gender, flipped sexuality. The theology of the body tries to bring it back, but so many doctors, you know, even good Catholic doctors, well, they really need this. Well, 
the reality is it's like the visitation moment. You realize that you hate the disease but love the patient. And like you talked about, it's the love that's the glue. It's the love, you know, for who, you know, for she who sinned much, she's been forgiven for she's loved much. I think a lot of this is that when the Lord fills you, you begin to be present to people in a way that, because this is not social justice in simplicity. It is that, but it's much more because you're bringing Christ into the room, into the problem, and you present him in a loving, caring, compassionate way. And you don't force people, and you don't judge people. So women choose abortion because it's the least worst option. Man, I can't believe I was so stupid to have sex with this jerk, and I'm now pregnant. And I was even stupid because I couldn't use birth control. That's one methodology. That's one theory. The other one is... I can't keep it because I need to go to school and I need other things and it would wreck my life and my parents are going to throw me out. So the vast majority of women say, I don't have a choice when it comes to this abortion, so I must have the abortion because it becomes the least worst option. Remember, they're not, they're, these people are not evil. These people are suffering. Abortionists don't know any better. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because we haven't been bold enough and loving enough and gentle enough and courageous enough and forceful enough to engage. That's what I think this moment's about, and it's a moment of the visitation. I am sure at six months of pregnancy, my Elizabeth was having a hard time. <laughs> and lo and behold, boop, somebody, you know, somebody shows up and it's Mary, the relative. And I think they both shared this, you can do this, Mary. You can do this, Elizabeth. And I believe that when women, mothers especially, are there at that 40 Days for Life or outside their abortion clinics, and they go, I'm so sorry you have to do this. I can help you. I can show you how you can get through this. That is as important a piece of the puzzle as sending her to a good physician or a healthcare provider who loves her through the pregnancy and cares about her so much that tries to follow her up even after the baby is here to provide all those things that the enemy throws at, oh, you don't care of a damn, you don't do this, you are just... No, the pro-life movement can be so compassionate. So we partnered with all the pregnancy centers locally because by showing them women, not only in our office who are part of the system, but connecting them with women who've made it through their tough pregnancies, whether it was for an adverse diagnosis, whether it was just for convenience, whether they, too, terminated, aborted one or two or four of their children, they're a witness. And when it's done in love and compassion, it's an amazing force, Timory. <laughs> in fact, it's the love that will renew the face of the earth because you're literally doing the work of the Holy Spirit. I love Dr. Bruchowski, and if you're just joining us, that's Dr. John Bruchowski. He shared his story with us just here on Trending moments ago of having performed abortions during his residency, thinking that would make him the best OBGYN, realizing that that's not true women's health care, and for over 25 years has truly ministered to women and women's health, providing full medical care for women, not including abortion because that is not life-saving care. Uh, but Dr. Bruchowski, a moment ago you mentioned uh, you know women and mothers standing in front of the abortion clinic praying and offering help to 
pregnant women coming in. And I found, especially over the last few years, you know, being a new mom, I have a one and a half year old. Well, during COVID, you know, very few people were out in front of the abortion clinics praying. Many people were scared off of the streets and no one was willing to go out. But I, here I was, and I was pregnant. I thought I need to go out there and pray. No one else is. And I'd go out and I would just see these women staring. And I saw their faces of, they were just envisioning, you know, what would it be like to be a little further along in my pregnancy? And then after I had my daughter, you know, I've tried as often as I can to go out and I need to more. I'm guilty of not having gone out more to go in front of the abortion clinic and push the stroller and walk back and forth and pray in front of that abortion clinic because women need to see that. What would it be like? What, how can I envision being a mom? You know, what would it be like to push my daughter in a stroller? What would it be like, you know, to not be pregnant anymore? Her pregnancy is just a season. It's not a lifetime. And I would see these women just watch and I realized so much of what you're saying that women need to have that idea of hope beyond the moment of being in a crisis pregnancy situation or beyond the moment of being told they need to spend the next 15, 20 years of their, of their reproductive lives being on contraception because babies have been, they've been told babies get in the way of a career. That hope and vision is so important today. Yes, it is, Timory. And um, I would encourage all those moms to send their guardian angels and the guardian angels of their children. I, I, I really believe in this union of body, soul, and spirit, which I learned, believe it or not, in my evangelical church. And then I come back home and it's like, oh, he's talking about the theology of the body and all this integration and medicine. We now have great science behind this. We have great anthropology. We have real, but it's not about the intellect. It's about the sacrifice. So when you are out there just witnessing with your prayer, those angels talking to one another, just like at the visitation, and Johnny was leaping in the womb. And it's not about making them feel bad, it's about making them feel whole again. Mm. It's, you, you want to see the power of Jesus Christ in the world today. You want to understand that Our Lady's talking about her triumph, and we are, you know, spiraling out of control, it seems like, and yet, the opportunity to do good to overcome evil with good. What you talk about, you know, I've been a friend of Abby Johnson's for ever since she found that 40 Days for Life. I have known Lila talking about what she's doing. I've been, I'm so old that I remember all this, helping these folks and listening and them helping me. It's you're building this place where abortion becomes unwanted and children become welcomed again. And you do it with your blood and your life, even through misery. And you walk with people through that. And your witness, once again, you're doing so much good now on the station. Your time, you did it during COVID. It's always about the, once again, pandemics are fixed when priests and providers, priests and physicians doctors of the body, doctors of the soul, collaborate with our patients who are mothers of the heart, gut, womb, that Jewish word for heart, what's deepest. My God, when you collaborate together, the Holy Spirit begins to work again, because it's always about the Spirit and Mary. We need you mothers witnessing 
praying, sending your angels. We need good doctors and providers in a world where faith and reason are one. When the Church says it's paradoxical that there's a virgin mother, that there's a paradox that it's faith and reason, that there's a paradox between the body and the soul, it's meant to help us, not to frustrate us. And so as we connect with people, and like I said, you know, anybody who's interested, you know, follow me on Twitter at John Burchowski, because I'm telling you, it's this social media, it's the new way, it's, it's ministering to people one-on-one. It's about transforming hearts through health care, because abortion is an act that is pushed into health care, but it's not true health care because it's destructive. It's, it only looks at one patient, the mother. And so I think I woke up and I found myself, my conversion was about seeing two patients and caring for both because that's what OBGYNs did before Roe, during Roe, and after Roe. But since Roe has been here, we've lost a sense of that. And so, you know, I, I just want you, I just want your people to know that what you're talking about is real. The church's sacramental aspect are real. Penance is real. You are forgiven. And you're given a new life because of the Eucharist. And so what you're talking about, especially during COVID, when our churches were closed, my God, we were lost. You're not going mm-hmm. out to the abortion clinic. You can't go to Mass. You, you're trying to do it virtually. It's all, it was all kind of so uncertain. And now we always want to fear man more than we want to fear the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is based in love, and it's based in just a real Abba, a real Daddy, and a real Mommy in our faith, which is about family. And you were doing it just walking. We wrote it because it was about a conversion. And I just want to show that all of us, even myself, who was doing... Oh, Timory, you know, I, I pulled apart three-pound infants. I disarticulated shoulders. Mm-hmm. I killed babies because mommies were afraid of a one in 10,000 chance of having Down syndrome. Okay, you're mm-hmm. afraid, I'll do it. Well, those kids all were healthy. And yet, yeah. that pain and suffering is real. And um, I just love it. I, I, I just. I look, this I look opportunity is a real. Your story. Praise God. I look forward to hearing your story in the book, Two Patients from Abortion to Life-Affirming Medicine. You can find it through Ignatius Press coming out this October. We'll let you know as the date comes sooner. Uh, briefly, Dr. Bruchowski, if someone listening now is working in an abortion clinic or has a family working in an abortion clinic, what would you say to that person who's there working in that clinic today but finds this controversy within them over the work they're doing? I would say, are you, are you having doubts that what you're doing, are you burned out? Are you frustrated? Are you frustrated that women keep coming back, the same people, over and over and over again? Are, is there something pricking your conscience or your heart? Well, then there were none through Abby Johnson, uh, divinemercycare.org, or at John Burchowski on on Twitter or all the things you're going to tell them about, there are people out here who have kind of walked through this 
And whether you stay in the abortion industry or not, I've become friends with many abortionists, some of whom have left, some of whom have stayed. But listen, you need to talk about it because are you depressed? Are you on medicine? Are you, do you feel anxious all the time? You know, is the stress gotten to you? Have you put on weight? Uh, there's all sorts of signs that the stress of life is beating us down. And if you've been in the industry, there are options for you. Just listen to it. Listen to Abby and, and then there were none. Give us a buzz at divinemercycare.org and listen. You know, we're, we're, it's just a conversation. <laughs> just a conversation. It's not about jamming religion. It's about meeting you where you are and listening to your story and why you're feeling the way you do. Amen. And some of us who've been there, whether in my residency, I only did it for two years, but there are other doctors through the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs who've had a longer history than I have, and we're just here to listen and help. And if you're listening right now to this program and you feel shamed or... You know, you have that black hole many years ago where you ended a pregnancy. There is incredible hope in a, a minister, a ministry, inside churches, outside churches, that we can guide you through to find healing and wholeness. And when you do cry and you're due and you get angry, it's not because you're shamed. It's because you're just sad that this is what happened. And when you really do then feel the mercy of God on your walk, you've come home. And I Amen. promise you, you just use all your, all your past will be used for good. Well, what is it? All things work to the good to those who love him, called according to his purpose, Romans Indeed. eight twenty eight. Indeed, and, so, and for those who are looking for resources, uh, helpafterabortion.org is a great resource if you yourself has, have been through an abortion, as well as a link to the resource, and then there were none if you've been working in the abortion movement. We'll post links on social media as well as on the podcast notes. Just follow me at Timmery, that's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Dr. John Bruchowski, thank you so much for joining us today on Trending. You can find him at drjohnbruchalski.com. That's D-R John Bruchalski, spelled B-R-U-C-H-A-L-S-K-I.com and divinemercycare.org. We've tagged him on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. He's there. Check out his new book coming out this October, Two Patients Chronicling His Own Story from Having Been a Part of Abortions to the Incredible Pro-Life Work He's Doing Today. We'll be back here on Trending. I'll share with you an insane story about an older woman who was kicked out of the YMCA and employees tried to have her arrested as well as Serena Williams comments on motherhood and more. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. You may have heard the news that tennis star infamous 
Serena Williams is retiring, looking ahead to her retirement. She's had some interesting things to say about motherhood and career that I'd like to talk about in just a moment. Uh, but first, I want to share with you just a crazy story uh, that should challenge us and also be able to be a moment where we just point and say, this is sad and it's laughable, but it also reminds us that there are bullies out there and we have to stand for safety and truth. Story came out this week that an 80-year-old woman in Washington State has been permanently banned from a local YMCA. Why? Because she objected to a man in a woman's swimsuit being in the woman's shower area and changing rooms. This 80-year-old woman felt very uncomfortable when she heard a man's voice as she was just getting out of the shower, hadn't even dried off yet, and so immediately she actually confronted him. And apparently it was actually a male employee who called himself Clementine and is supposedly allowed to be in the women's locker room, even with little girls. Well, this July, July 26, while she was showering and this whole situation happened, she ended up confronting this man, Clementine, uh, who was in the women's locker room and showering areas, and is basically, you know, addressing that he shouldn't be in there, and she was concerned about the safety of girls, and she asked him to leave. Justifiably so, we should argue in a normal world, in our world, it should be perfectly fine to ask a man to leave the women's restroom. It should be normal to ask a man to leave a woman's changing room, especially when we are uncomfortable or there are children nearby. But no, what happened is immediately YMCA employees, other YMCA employees, came to the defense of this man who was in the woman's restroom and changing area, and they asked instead that this 80-year-old woman be arrested. They tried to have her arrested. Of course, the police would not arrest her. This is ridiculous. And they, however, did kick her out of the YMCA, telling her to depart for good and never to return. Thank God this 80-year-old woman had the guts that I would argue the vast majority of Americans today are not willing to own up to and say, hey, a man in the restroom is not appropriate. Get out. There's nothing hateful or mean or cruel. A man does not belong in a woman's restroom. And it has to do first and foremost about safety. It has nothing to do with sexual proclivities or sexual identity. It has to do with reality. I personally believe today no restroom is safe given that we have a culture that says it's okay for a man to walk into the restroom. If, a, if The reality is a young woman. The reality is, is if I go into a, ba a public restroom and especially anticipating that it is one that's a little more isolated and that there's no one in, I will push on every single stall door to make sure that there's no one hiding inside the bathroom. Now, that's just a safety thing in general that we should probably do in an isolated area. But why do I do that? Because today it is socially accepted that a man can walk into a woman's restroom and no one say anything about it, even if he doesn't come back out. And so, yes, we live at a time where we should be able to say in the midst of crazy policies that try to bully people and maybe people think that they might face some sort of legal ramification. And believe me, this 80 year old woman did not that we should be able to say, get out of this restroom. I am uncomfortable and it's inappropriate that you are here. You could say it harshly. You could say it more respectfully. At the end of the day, this is triggering fears for some. It's a triggering past memories of sexual abuse for others. And it also, without diving into this topic, it's telling a lie to people 
who are struggling with a transgender identity that it is acceptable to be in the restroom of the opposite sex when they don't have the same biological, physiological makeup as a woman. And I'm specifically talking about women because the reality is, is that men being in wet women's restrooms is far more dangerous than women being in men's restrooms. Neither should be occurring, but men have an incredible capacity to be much stronger and physiologically capable of doing far greater harm to a woman than a woman to a man. Yes, can women abuse men? Absolutely. I know a lot of people are going to write me, reminding me of this. Yes, I understand that. But I think it's important we realize that very simple fact. Men have the capacity to do more harm to women. And the reality is, is that even in parochial schools, we are hearing stories of little girls who are being abused by boys who are being accepted into women's restrooms. And we need to draw the line. And thank God this 80-year-old woman in Washington State said no. Not just for her discomfort of getting out of the shower and hearing a man in her locker room, but because she said there are little girls here too. So let's stand for safety and have the courage that this woman had as well. Okay, Serena Williams, I just have to say, really interesting. Tennis legend Serena Williams is looking at her retirement, and many people have a lot of opinions, but the reality is is that her four-year-old daughter, Olympia, wants to be a big sister, and she wants to grow her family. Serena Williams is, in the eyes of many people, and even in her own eyes, is making a career-ending move. And she's saying she wouldn't have to make this choice if she were a man. Which again, coming back to biological reality, it's true. She said at one point, believe me, I never wanted to have to choose between tennis and a family. She writes, I don't think it's fair. If I were a guy, I wouldn't be writing this because I'd be out there playing and winning while my wife was doing the physical labor labor of expanding her family. It's true. It's not sexist to make this simple fact. Men have the freedom... But might I add the responsibility to provide and protect their families, uninhibited by the demands of pregnancy, of nursing, etc., that babies have on women. They're also phys- physically more capable when it comes to things such as manual labor in various areas and worlds that we've lived in, the world that we've lived in, to do what is necessary to protect and provide for a family. And so she's stating a fact that's true that comes back down to biology. And this is what so much of the debate has to do with, whether it be the LGBTQ issue, abortion, women's topics. But I think there's something beautiful about what Serena Williams is doing. She's recognizing, if I want to have a family, there's something I have to give. But she's just not giving up a career as an incredible, incredibly, incredibly talented and legendary tennis player. She's giving herself to motherhood. She's giving to her family. She's giving in a different way. And she's talked about, she's not really thinking of it as a retirement, but as an evolution in her life. That it's a change in the focus and that focus is on her family. Sometimes this can be a bit of a dose of humility for us as women. We're taught to go to school, get the education, get the degrees, get the credentials, get the job, make all the accomplishments, and delay, delay, delay having children because you just paid all that money for school, didn't you? You just earned all, the, all those degrees, didn't you? Or in her case, you've been an Olympian, haven't you? People may think it's crazy that Serena Williams 
is putting down the racket to pick up a baby. But the reality is, is that that's a part of the gift and beauty of the human person. The gift and beauty specifically that women have the potential for. And it grows you and changes you in incredible ways. That is motherhood. It provides a dose of humility that I am physiologically incapable of handling the same high power level of a career such as being a legendary tennis player, Serena Williams, and having the family I want. Yes, she recognizes having children gets in the way. She even commented that Tom Brady isn't having to go through the same type of conversation or situation. You may remember earlier this year, Tom Brady announced that he was retiring, to which he then changed his mind, announcing, never mind, I'm actually going to be playing my 23rd NFL season. He changed his mind a month later. She said that's not exactly something that a woman can just do, especially when pregnancy and caring for a child are included. But the challenge for us as women is seen and understanding what we're giving up, we're giving so much more into and receiving so much more in the gift of motherhood. It's a dose of humility recognizing our dependence, but an opportunity for great love, sacrifice, and absolute transformation of who we are as women. I was just talking to a friend the other day, and we were talking about how uh, the pro-abortion movement, the society, the left today focuses so heavily on contraception and abortion, on career, on nothing to do with motherhood. Why? In part because it's a destruction of who we are as women. It's a destruction of God in our lives. Because when you have a child, it changes you. It grows you. It challenges you. Ooh, one of the most challenging things, yeah, I think with having a child has been teaching her how to eat. <laughs> and then teaching her how to eat cleanly and how to use a fork and now how to use a spoon. And that requires a lot of patience. A lot of love and tender compassion and interaction. But it's so easy to look at that child today that can be our greatest achievement and greatest means of growth and to look at that child and resent him or her, to resent our potential for motherhood, to resent the motherhood we already have, to look at it as a burden or a hindrance that got in the way of something we could have done, whether it be travel, career, educate, whatever it might have been. To look at a child as what has tied us down to a particular lifestyle. But that's what the world wants us to think. That's not our God-given identity as women. As mothers with the gift and capacity to carry and nourish children. And for them to grow and challenge us as our truly greatest achievements out there. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Pray for Serena Williams through this transition. It's not easy going from the great legendary career that she's had into motherhood. That's a difficult transition. And a lot of us need that support and love. And maybe you know someone who's making a transition like that. But helping women to be empowered to see the good in their motherhood. The good even in the midst of the imperfections and the moments they feel like they're incapable or would love a distraction or to be doing something else at times. That's okay. I think all moms experience that. All moms need to try to find little breaks or still pursue things that they love, but not to the detriment of their children, their motherhood, or their bodies. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. I want to take the question that my daughter wants to take contraception when she leaves for college. We'll have to save that for next week. I'll be back next week here on Trending.